0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and
0: wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation.
2: Hi, and welcome to the Artemis podcast. I am your host, Carly Kootnick, and I have two very special guests today. I have Marcia Brownlee, who is my predecessor, and we're going to see how she's been doing. Marcia, welcome to the Artemis podcast again. How are you? Thank you. I'm good, Carly. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. We're thrilled to have you. And then our second guest today is Mandela van Ierden. Did I say that right, Mandela, again? Van Eerden. Van Eerden. This is, yeah, this is a normal that's thing. A, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And uh, Mandela recently has left Artemis to pursue a different career.
3: Um, and we're going to hear a lot about that. So how are you, Mandela? Doing very well on this beautiful fall morning in Missoula, Montana. Looking right now at the Bitterroot Mountains, it is gorgeous, and it's just—it's just you know, cute sweater weather, and it's that lovely time of year to go mountain biking, and you know, or stay up late at night packing for an expedition to Zambia. Whatever it is you're <laughs> doing, it's a good time of year to do it in Missoula.
2: Um, I think, yeah, I think that sounds amazing. Colorado is actually also quite beautiful right now. I mean, the sun is shining, but really crisp, lovely mornings and the leaves are changing. And um, yeah, I was able to make it to the mountains last week and and see a moose. A moose? Well, a bull moose, a cow, and then a calf. So it was pretty awesome.
1: Were they together?
2: So the bull moose was on on his own and he didn't look like he was doing too well. But the cow and oh. calf were at a higher a much higher elevation, like not in a wetland at all, um, just kind of trotting through the woods. so it was really yes. neat to see beautiful I know I love I love animals i I, I love wildlife, not all animals, yeah. just wildlife, yeah,
1: yeah, well, moose in particular, I find compelling,
2: yeah, they're they're extraordinary animals and they're huge. they're absolutely huge mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and do our normal intro. Marsha, could you please share with us what's in your freezer?
1: Yes. So my freezer, um, let's see what's in my freezer. So I have, uh, some, my father had a very successful hunting season last year. And so my freezer is full of game that he harvested and is sharing with me because yay family who hunt. Uh, and so I've got some bear, um, that he harvested and some elk that he harvested and then I also have some lamb that I got from a friend who had lamb on her property for the first time this year and then I have can I swear <laughs> like if I were always back Absolutely. in the day I would have sworn but I'm not sure the body but you're a guest. Have a shit ton of applesauce um because nice. my apple trees um just were amazing this year and produced a ton of apples and so uh, i have a lot of really delicious apple sauce um that's kind of that wrap. that's it that's that's what's in my freezer
2: that sounds amazing so i i went yeah. to jordan a couple of years ago and i can't remember what the dish name is called but there's a the national dish of jordan is um, a lamb dish, and it is absolutely fantastic. So I'll have to send you that recipe. I'm
1: Please. What like it's what's called. What are yeah? What are the spices in it? Kind of. What kind of oh, spices does Jordan usually?
2: I mean, goodness, it, it's really like a hearty taste and um, like very savory. Um, okay. I I'll, I'll look it up and I'll get back to you on that.
1: Okay, excellent. I look forward to that. It's fun because I have all of these recipes that I typically make with game. Um, that usually call for lamb and so I'm like making all of these recipes with the meat that they're intended to be served with and so that's just kind of fun oh really it's Still delicious no matter what you do but <laughs> it's kind of right fun yeah awesome awesome awesome
2: and are you doing have you done anything with the bear with the bear yet have you like rendered down the fat
1: uh so uh he processed it and uh we didn't keep the fat and so mostly it's a lot of roasts and a lot of ground meat um, that we use regularly. Um, he did keep the hide. I haven't seen it yet though. So it might must still be in processing.
2: Okay. That sounds awesome. I had bear fat the first for the first time. Oh, I guess it was about a year and a half ago and we cooked French fries in it. So we did bear fat French fries. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Fantastic. So the next time you get a bear, I highly recommend that.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Hopefully that'll be soon.
2: (laughs) Uh, Well, I didn't get a bear tag this year and I'm not, I'm not hunting this year either, but we'll see. So, Mm, all right, Mandela, let's hear about your freezer.
3: Well, there's a chance that our listeners have already heard this, but you know, probably I live live on top of an old Land Rover and I don't actually have a freezer. I have a really good cooler. Um, But my last harvest was a springbok in Southern Africa in the Karua desert region. And that was an incredibly profound hunt with a bushman. My father was there. We did the blood ceremony. I ate the liver right from the animal. It's a way that they honor the animal in that part of Southern Africa. And I shared that meat with my family over a period of six weeks. And I do believe that there's a little bit left for me when I head to South Africa on October 7th. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to peeking inside the freezer on the family farm in the wine country and the Western Cape of South Africa. And if I'm lucky, there'll be a piece of springbok waiting for me. But the chances of that are pretty low because South Africans really do enjoy organic, ethically harvested wild game, especially the springbok. Springbok are uh, one of the populations in South Africa that are actually doing very, very well. And they are prized for their game meat and for their beautiful hides. Um, and so, yeah, I look forward to checking out to see if I have anything in my freezer in South Africa, but the one in America doesn't exist yet. One day it will. And I look forward to telling you about wild turkey and elk and whitetail and such.
2: Um, I agree. I am very much looking forward to that as well, especially when I come visit. I Now with both of you, or both of you have always been in Missoula, I suppose, uh, but I definitely need to make a trip up there. We have some ambassadors there. It'd be a great trip. And Ella, I didn't realize you were leaving this soon for Africa.
3: Yes, I am flying to South Africa to visit the nature reserve where I grew up. So, if this is your first time listening to the Artemis Sports Women podcast, um, I hope you continue to tune in because it's really good content. But uh, my background is, you know, my father's South African, my mother's from Montana. My mom's like fourth generation Montana. My dad's 11th generation South Africa. So I'm related to every other person in the Western Cape. It would be a very, very, very bad place for me to date. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so we have a nature reserve for the most Southern tip of Africa. My grandmother created the nature reserve. It's a private reserve. So you could come visit me there. I hope that both of you, sincerely hope that both of you come and visit me in the bush one day, but you'd have to be with me because it's a private reserve. So my father and I, We keep an eye out for invasive species of plants. We keep an eye out for poachers. We try to make sure that people don't walk on the sand dunes when the shorebirds are laying their eggs, and uh, overall just be really good stewards and custodians of that landscape. It's also a marine reserve. We have abundant populations of great white sharks, and it's Feinbos, so that's a beautiful coastal bushveld. It's only found in one place in the entire world, and that's at the most southern tip of Africa. And it's a thatch hut that's been made from grass that grows in the bush. And so I'm going to be flying to South Africa to spend three days in the bush. And I'm going to help out with some friends who are harvesting honey this time of year. And uh, it's not enough time, but it's better than nothing. And then I have a delightful uh, you know, errand to go to the home affairs office in Cape Town. And I'm being a little sarcastic there because it takes a lot of time to get anything done in terms of paperwork in South Africa. Uh, So I kind of giggle when I hear people talk about heading to the post office (laughs) in America and standing in line to get their their passport, because it takes a long time to get any paperwork done in South Africa. But yeah, heading to the home affairs office in Cape town to just run an errand and um, connect with family. And then I'll be flying up to Zambia on October 16th and I'll be spending 31 days on the front lines of the poaching epidemic. Interviewing rangers, ex-poachers, conservationists, and community members in regards to the work that's being done on the ground to prevent the extinction of those keystone species. I'll be also running the entire length of the Zambezi River, so that's another thing that I really enjoy doing is running rivers. I like that's my way to explore the world is via the the turns of the rivers, and um, so the upper Zambezi and the lower Zambezi are pretty flat rich with healthy populations of crocodiles and hippo. And then we have the whitewater section that's just below Victoria Falls. And uh, the crocodiles that are down there, or shall I say the crocs, the crocs that are down there, they're a little bit smaller than the ones in the upper section because they have accidentally now gone over Victoria Falls. And if you Google a picture of Victoria Falls, you'll see that it's not necessarily a waterfall that you would ever go out of your way to run. That's what we would call class six or unrunnable. But yeah, the whitewater section starts right below the falls and there are crocodiles down there, but they're a little bit smaller, only like six feet versus 12 feet. And, um, yeah, so I am leaving for South Africa very soon here. And I'll tell you more about that trip in a moment if you're curious, but, uh, I'm very excited to be going back to South Africa and it's spring turning to summer there now.
1: I have a lot of questions.
3: (laughs) Well, let's, let's go ahead and ask them.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, um, Uh, and Mandela, you did say that you were going to tell us more about this trip in a, in a second, but I'm super curious about, um, uh, how you're going to present the work and the information, um, that you gather, like what, what's the, I mean, aside from the amazing experience, I guess, selfishly, what's the end product and how can I get it?
3: (laughs) Well, I really, really, really appreciate your support, Marsha. And, Anyone who's ever listened to the trail less traveled. So when I was 18, I started a radio series called, oh gosh, well, this is terribly yeah. embarrassing, but. No, what I was it called? Started, Sorry. Oh gosh, this is so embarrassing. Not many people know this, but when, when I was 18 <laughs> and I started a radio show on KBGA College Radio, it was called The Mandela Experience. And it oh, was kind that. of like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> <But> <laughs> But it was like a combination of the Jimi Hendrix experience and the Jeff Korn experience. And I would interview people and we would play beautiful music and there'd be live performances from visiting bands from Cuba. And it was really brilliant. Um, And then I uh, went to the Trail 103.3 in Missoula about 12, 13 years ago. And episode 567 comes out on Sunday. Oh, wow. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. And um, that's an interview with the executive director of the Ohio Conservation Federation. So I'm really excited about that one. Um, and yeah, so it's a, I, I, do, I'm a, I, I host and produce. I'm a one-woman team at this point. Actually, I, I do have some folks that are helping me out for the first time in 18 years. And really help, I'm really grateful for that. But for most of my life, um, actually half my life, I've been doing this by myself. It's a radio series that airs once a week on the Trail 103.3 here in Missoula. About 60 to 100,000 listeners when it broadcasts on the radio here. And then it's streamed, you can stream it online at trail1033.com. So Sunday nights at 6 Mountain Time. And uh, then it's a podcast too. Um, And what sets this podcast apart, this radio series, I guess, apart from others, is that it's always recorded on location and Mm -hmm. around the world. And so um, the next step in my journey involves film. So I'm getting more comfortable (sighs) being on film and I will be filming these interviews. So a lot of the times people are like, Mandela, are you really? interviewing a crayfisherman fisherman off the coast of New Zealand. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually vomiting off the side right now. This is real, <laughs> but I've never had anybody to film it. So I, I got a tripod and a new iPhone 14. And I'm going to set a tripod up so that people can actually sit with us in the bush and they can experience it visually and audially. And, uh, you know, then if you keep watching the TV, maybe down the line, there'll be something on there, but I, I can't allude to too much on that front other than I've got a lot of work to do in terms of evolving from a radio producer into more of a on-camera storyteller.
1: So what was the, um, I, I guess I'm curious what the inspiration was to go to Zambia.
3: I've been passionate about elephant and rhino conservation my entire life. Growing up, I didn't know that it was actually an Easter bunny. When I grew up, it was an Easter rhino. Like seriously, huh. I uh, came to America and I'm like, what is a bunny? That's a little scarier. It's a rhino. Yeah. No, it's like legit. We and I, if I ever do dabble in bringing life into this world or adopting, I'm going to stick with a with a Easter rhino. Um, the- <laughs> <laughs> I still have it. I'll show you one day. I have a rhino because I was in uh, I think I was in Zambia as a child, and my parents. It was Easter, and they had hit a rhino uh, stuffed animal out in the bush with with a basket of eggs. Because the rhino created eggs. I mean, you know, I had a little, a couple things backwards in my head at the time. But. Um, well, the bunny does eggs too. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that translated. <laughs> but it's just like so admirable because a, a rhino is known as being this quite a like, you know, large creature, that not like a delicate bunny, but they still was able to deliver these eggs to me every year. Anyways, <laughs> um, so I've been passionate about rhino and elephant conservation my entire life, as long as I can remember. I really was born into conservation by growing up on the nature reserve. And um, I mean, if you look at pictures of me as a kid, I only realize this now. Like almost every picture that I'm wearing a shirt that says, save the seals or save the jungle. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, and then I sit down with um, family members and I learn about my grandmother, who I never got to know, but she created this nature reserve and finding out how passionate she was about conservation. And I never even really met her, but to know that, like, wow, it's really in my blood. So, um, yeah, if you guys want, I can dive into that or we can come back to it. But it's a long story, it definitely involves. The fact that I'm an expedition whitewater guide and Mm -hmm. the Zambezi River is on the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe. And so I was originally heading to the Zambezi to document stories in regards to preventing the damming of that mighty river. Mm -hmm. And um, I am going to be doing that. My focus on this trip is certainly elephants, but I am going to be doing a side project, kind of like doing a little bit of reconnaissance work for a documentary I'd like to make. Because as you know, it's easier to prevent the damming of a river than to remove the dam after it's been put in. Uh, So I get kind of this interest in running amazing high volume whitewater. It's like, it's like basically the rapids of the Grand Canyon, lava falls, crystal hands, but you know, almost back to back with, with pools in between, but just nice, big, warm whitewater. Um, And then uh, that it is a place where there is incredible work being done uh, by communities and women's groups and, Um, Lots of collaboration going on there. And so the stories, they need to be shared. You know, I think it's so important that if you're going to help out with these efforts, and you can, by the way, you can help prevent the extinction of elephants and rhinos. And if you want more information on that, I can elaborate. But one of those ways that you can be effective is by investigating what organizations put the majority of your donations to on-the-ground monitoring efforts Um, And so Game Rangers International is one of them. And I'm partnering with Game Rangers International to do a circumnavigation of Zambia. So we'll be starting in Lusaka, then heading up to the border of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Angola, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Malawi, and uh, just collecting the stories, these stories of the people who have been doing this work for a long time and, um, and hopefully inspiring people around the world to step up. And realize that if we do see the extinction of elephants and rhinos in our generation, we will feel it all over the world and uh, we can do something about it. So uh, that's a little it's bit of a amazing. background on that. Yeah,
1: It's amazing, Mandela. I, I'm excited for you and excited to um, to see what comes of it and to hear what comes of it. It's such an amazing adventure and important stories. And I'm just excited.
3: I agree. Well, I'm excited to have more time to, you know, when I'm back in Missoula to, um, oh boy, there he goes. That was me um, to, to, you know, sit down and have tea with y'alls and, and and always not just be on the go. So I'm trying to find balance with collecting these stories, yeah. but also being in Missoula. Yeah. Um, you know, and, how and long will community. you be in Zambia? Uh, five weeks. Okay, cool. All right back to you, Marsha. We're, we're starting out with you, my friend.
1: <laughs> Sorry I got yeah but you're just I just had too many questions. <laughs> no,
2: I I love these questions. Mandela, before we move on, I I'd like to um I'd like to hear the quote or the African proverb that you always have in the bottom of your signature block. I think our listeners would really love to hear that because it makes me chuckle every time I see it.
3: Yeah. If you think you're too small to make a difference, you've obviously never spent the night with a mosquito a good one. I think it's pretty notable. I it, and it's so true. Goodness.
2: <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and switch switch gears.
3: I'm going to go ahead and insert something there. You know, the most dangerous animal in Africa is a mosquito. Just just saying, just saying, it's not yeah. the black from mamba, a disease it's not standpoint. Lions is not a hippo. Yeah, we want to watch out for those little critters, and yeah. uh, they also they also can be beautiful teachers when it comes to patients. So that's me being constantly positive. Um, (laughs) I was gonna say
1: that's like, that's next level.
3: (laughs) Awesome.
2: Okay, now let's switch gears. And let's hear about you, Marsha. What things have you been up to?
1: Yeah. Um, So, as uh, regular podcast listeners will remember, when I left the National Wildlife Federation, I did so to begin um, a master's in clinical mental health counseling at the University of Montana. And so, I am in my third year, third and final year of that program. It's a two year program, but I went part time, um, which may have been one of the best decisions of my life, but I went part time. And uh, so, It took me three years, and right now I'm uh, in my internship uh, stage, so I get to work with amazing people in the room and kind of figure out um, how I show up and how I can be supportive and how I can be helpful. Um, And so that's still where a lot of my time and energy goes, is to learning how to be a mental health counselor. And what
2: things, what, I guess, what is your, what do you hang your hat on? What's the, what's your big takeaway? So one, what brought you into that field? This is a lot of questions. What brought you into that field? And then, um, what things have you learned that have, that are maybe the linchpin for, for keeping you there?
1: Um, I think what brought me there is, um, you know, I think in my background experience as an educator and as a school director and then as Artemis program manager working in conservation, it's just this really deep understanding. I mean, education and conservation are two fields that will bleed you dry <laughs> if if you let it. Uh, and so I think part of what brought me there was just the realization that people are really struggling to maintain their wellness. Um. Uh, for a number of different reasons. And I've always loved supporting people um, just in general with whatever goals they want to achieve. Um, And I think personally, there was a real lack of um, confidence or understanding of how I can support them um, in the best way. And I wanted to know more so I could do more. And so that was sort of the reason for the shift into counseling was to learn uh, really what it means to support people to fulfill the life that they want to have and the life that they want to lead and to do so um, in an informed and skilled way. Uh, And so what's kept me there is really the experience Experience of being able to do just that, you know, I think it's a really slow process to do the kind of deep, meaningful growth that is sustainable. It's not linear at all. Um, and to be a part of it when somebody is learning something about themselves, um, it's just, it's, 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 I get a lot of fulfillment and, and meaning out of that. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned that I think was not only um, important for me as a counselor, but also just really sort of life-changing for me as a person is how necessary, like we talk about, um, like, like processing grief or um, processing trauma or processing stress or burnout or any number of the difficult experiences that we all go through, uh, whether it's like relationship conflict or you name it, we're all experiencing it to varying degrees and and going through that. I think in our culture in particular, there's a real push to manage that on our own And that is the stupidest thing ever, (laughs) because what, (laughs) like just not to mince words, um, the way that we process that from the day that we're born is through connection and co-regulation and, um, leaning on others for support when we need it. And, um, and the science to support that is incredible, um, and so it's just been really cool to dig into that science and to see like what what we need when we're going through difficult times is is community is social support is a space where we can be vulnerable and and i mean if you th- i think sorry i feel like i'm going on and on and on i love it <laughs> i love it um you know as a preschool teacher um i learned pretty early on that adults are just preschoolers with a little bit more self-control um and i think (laughs) (laughs) as a we tend to think that adults and children are dramatically different right that we've learned so much on our path to adulthood that we're no we no longer need the same things or function in the same way and that's that's not true and so if you think of like an infant or even a toddler like when they're upset, what they need is somebody to comfort them and to sit beside them and not to make their problems go away, but to let the kid know you're not alone in this. You're safe. You're okay. Um, I'm here with you. And as adults, we need the exact same thing. Um, But we're taught that self-regulation and self-sufficiency are better. Um, And so it's really cool to acknowledge that for myself personally and to provide that support um, for the people that I'm seeing. So one of my
2: dear friends is a social worker, and she, um, she brought up to me a couple of months ago. She said, you know, it's really curious how workplaces tell you to practice self-care, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be focused on the self-care, right, to your point previously. Instead, it should be focused on really how they can help you build that community and help invest in you to to help you move past some of these challenges. So yeah. I love that yeah I I love that you just shared all of that and I'm curious what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think especially when we're talking about um workplaces that deal with difficulty on a regular basis. Um again, whether it's like the the stress of being a teacher in the classroom or the the you know, the stress of um climate degradation or the loss of our favorite places and our favorite species. Like those are serious losses. And if you can't turn to your community to, to both share that grief and to support each other kind of on a rolling basis as needed. Again, it's like this, this co-regulation, the shared nervous system that we all have in work environments instead of being siloed, just the capacity to, um, to lean on each other. And it's, it's a balance, right? I mean, you lean too heavily and um, that throws everything off balance too. But uh, the fact that we don't lead at all, I think is a lot of what contributes to, um, to, to, I was thinking disenchantment with workplace culture and also (laughs) just um, uh, burnout.
2: For folks in the conservation world and like wildlife management. um, How, I guess, have you explored that specifically throughout this time in school?
1: I haven't. um, I haven't explored that specifically. I think it's always in the back of my mind, um, particularly because it's a work environment that I think is behind um, the the norm when it comes to like incorporating that type of support uh in its in its culture. Um, but most of my focus um has been actually in schools. Um and I'm currently working on a grant to council public school teachers, um, which is just which is wonderful and I'm enjoying it. Um and it was uh an, an option, it was available. So um I think That's conservation is always Marcia. in the back of my head. Yeah, I've been enjoying it. That's I I feel like
2: our educators are kind of there's they have a lot of and you probably know this as an educator, they have a lot of expectation Mm -hmm. (laughs) without the support systems to ensure that they continue to be successful and
1: Which is one yeah. Which is one of the primary ingredients in burnout.
2: Right. Man. Well, kudos to you. I just think that's absolutely fantastic. And I'm yeah, I'm excited to hear how how that path goes for you. Do you will you focus primarily on like individual therapy sessions or will it be more group therapy or how how what do you yeah. envision for your future?
1: Um I I definitely will continue working with individuals. I like groups and would like to continue to work with groups. I am very intrigued about what this what it what the possibilities might be for incorporating group work in the conservation community um I am actually currently taking a couples counseling class which is fascinating and not my cup of tea um so I probably won't do couples or families but uh individuals and group yes why not why is
2: that the why is that the area that really you don't love (laughs)
1: there's (laughs) just a lot that happens (laughs) that's a good you know you've been in a relationship (laughs) that's true a lot that happens
2: That is very true. Man. Well, how has, um, I guess, how has both conservation and education really shaped your role here? And are you still being active in kind of that conservation space and that leadership space and advocacy space in your personal life?
1: Um, You know, I haven't. I've taken a step back from engaging uh, at a super active level in conservation leadership i definitely took what i learned you know there's advocacy everywhere um advocacy options available everywhere and so i definitely have taken what i learned about how to be an effective advocate through artemis into other areas of my life um but i remember it was one of a leadership podcasts we did and i can't even remember the guest's name but she was talking about viewing engagement um in advocacy on like a long-term spectrum and it's something that is still important to me and something i care deeply about and something i know i will make my way back to uh but lately i just don't feel like i've had the capacity to do it effectively and so i've um i've stepped out of that arena for now
2: no i think that's i think that's great and i i do think it's important to think of it from a yeah a a timeline standpoint or a longevity standpoint of you don't have to always be a hundred percent engaged and always a hundred percent invested. you can take breaks and come back to it in the future. Yeah. I imagine though that you haven't um given up your time outside so so how are the how is montana in the out outside right now? I know you said the fall <sighs> is lovely
1: yeah, it's amazing. it's just fabulous it's still um just such a necessary part of my life. Uh I go out daily on hikes. And, you know, that's one of the amazing things about Montana is that you can access BLM or National Forest um, in just like a few minutes outside of town or even in town in some areas. And so uh my dog and I go for walks daily just to get our our daily dose of nature. Um and then longer adventures. Um, in the evenings and on the weekends. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah, it's just a part of who I am. And so I haven't given up appreciating it from that perspective. I will say, and now I'm just going to sound really grumpy and um, sort of out of touch with the rest of the country, but Missoula's getting crowded. <laughs> uh, I feel the same
2: way from here in Colorado. It's like, man, there's a lot of people.
1: lot of people and they're all coming for the same reasons that I love it here uh and that's great and it means that the the trails are just busier than they've ever been um and so uh so that's different um and that has definitely sort of impacted my choices about when and where and how I get out um and there's still so much opportunity that uh I yeah, I can still find the type of experience I'm looking for if I if I work for it.
2: Of course. Um what are some of your favorite trailheads? Well, maybe you don't want to share. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Shouldn't have asked the question. No, it's okay. I'll sh- I I will share um a couple of them that I really love. One is um johnsrood which is this beautiful trailhead uh, mandel i'm sure you're familiar with it it's this beautiful uh river corridor um up the blackfoot river and it has access to just a ton of um block management land and uh and it up until this point has been relatively untapped um it used to be that the road was not the best road to get back to all the access points but they paved it over the summer which I was a little bummed about and uh it's still a really beautiful space that people can access without too much trouble so that's one of my favorite places to explore. Um, Mandela, what are your what are your favorite trailheads? <laughs>
3: No girlfriend, these are sacred places. I just just don't think that that's appropriate. I just do encourage that people who are exploring, whether you are in Montana, whether you are in Colorado, Nevada, wherever you are, that you just make sure that you take a rubbish bag with you in your pocket. um, And you pick up trash when you're there and uh, just make sure you leave it better than you found it. And, um, you know, there's some incredible apps out there where you can, uh, Look at where your closest public lands are, and um you know the, I don't mean to be stingy with my special places, but they are pretty sacred to me and um a lot of my mentors have actually shared these places with me, so yeah, um, you know, I think you know in this day and age, especially when we're you know talking about poaching in in Africa, I'm not sure if you guys know, but the, one of the number one apps that are used by poachers, can you guess? on Next. google earth google earth <laughs> well yeah but um no the number one app that's used by poachers is instagram because it, oh. please, if you are an instagram user if you are someone who enjoys taking photographs of wildlife especially if you're going to africa to take pictures of wildlife you need to turn off the geo tracking on your phone so you can go to the settings on your phone go to pictures and then turn off so that it can't geo track and put the GPS coordinates of exactly where that photo was taken. So go ahead and turn those yeah. off and parks also encourage people not to post in real time because if you are geotagging each photo and you're posting it in real time, you're basically showing poachers exactly where the elephants and rhinos are.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
3: is detrimental to the animals. So, um, you know, we continue to learn lots, but I think just, you know, as in terms of what the question you just asked me, I'll just say to folks take responsibly please. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and when you do share these places with folks, also let them know that they can take care of it. And a, way to, a good way to do that, a great great way to example and um, demonstrate that for younger generations, especially if you have kids, I just think it's so important that everybody's stepping out the door with a um, bag to pick up trash. And unfortunately, in America, we do have a lot of plastic bags still, which you don't see that around the world, friends. We start, we need to get, get with a picture here and not be putting out so many plastic bags. Because there are so many, that means that there should be no excuse for you to um put a bag in your pocket and maybe two if you have a dog. One could be for the poop and the other one mm-hmm. is for cigarette butts and aluminium cans and plastic. Uh and just, you know. So I, I think I know that I didn't answer that question at all, but I did my very best to But you reminded us out. of Leave no that was, Trace. Yeah.
2: That was a nice segue. I appreciate that. Be good sports I love it. And with that, we're going to take a break and hear from our partners.
3: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
2: And we're back. I am here with Marsha Brownlee and Mandela van Eerden. And um, I'm so glad I get the opportunity to chat with both of you. Um, We've covered kind of a multitude of different things, but I'm I'm curious, um, before we move on from Marsha, I'm curious, uh, what adventures did you have this, this over the last year? I guess you've been away from Artemis for about a year now, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just over a year, which is crazy. Um, so I am a poor unemployed student who is (laughs) living off of student loans. So my adventures have been, um, based in Montana which is great i that's um the area that i love to explore anyway so i'm i'm fine with that um and it's been just a lot of exploring the the hills and the wilderness uh kind of within a day's drive of me um and 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 that's been wonderful i don't know that i have anything more than that to report um you know fishing On my favorite rivers and looking at the beautiful color um, in the fall as it changes and watching the sunrise over my favorite mountains. So it's been, um, I guess I would call it kind of familiar and sustaining uh, and full of of joy and familiarity, but not necessarily full of a lot of adventure.
2: I think that's lovely. I I think there's something really magical about being completely and utterly present. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Okay, Mandela, let's talk about your time at the National Wildlife Federation. Um, Can you give us a little bit about what things you learned for the tenure that you experienced here?
3: It's a pretty big question, love, but I will do my very best. Um so I just really learned a lot about how policy change works. You know, the connection between climate action and the preservation of old-growth forest, how quickly Alaska is experiencing a warming climate and how that will affect our infrastructure, should we lose our permafrost. You know, wildlife crossings, how they truly should become a norm and not an exception. As soon as a wildlife crossing goes in, wildlife vehicle accidents Our collusions uh, decrease by ninety four percent. Animals immediately start using them. Um, You know, we did a we did a lot of work, uh, and I'm so excited to continue to support the work being done by the National Wildlife Federation. But you know, in terms of what I also learned about the connection between hunting, fishing, and conservation during my time here, because I was mainly involved with the hunting and fishing branches of the National Wildlife Federation. I really learned a lot about the history of National Wildlife Federation and its roots in 1936 and Ding Darling. Not only was he a beautiful artist, he also was a sportsman. And, you know, the creation of the Pittman-Robertson Act and how wildlife conservation is funded in our country and how incredibly important that is. Um, I learned about lead on the landscape with our Lead Free Landscapes campaign. So, you know, lead affects 134 different species. I learned that non-lead alternatives like copper are incredible and effective and accurate. And that we do have a choice as hunters and anglers to voluntarily make the decision to be lead free in the field. I learned that chronic waste disease is the number one threat of service in North America. And, you know, all the different ways that we can, as hunters, try to combat the spread by getting tested and taking it seriously, and also using our voice, uh, speaking up when opportunities come along, like the Chronic Race and Disease Research and Management Act. I was really, really quite grateful to have played a tiny role in many different projects at National Wildlife Federation. You know, as a river guide on the middle fork of the salmon as well as the Main salmon and the Selway rivers, I am very passionate and continue to be working on the recovery of salmon and steelhead via the removal of the four lower snake river dams. The science is clear that that is how we're going to recover those species. And so it's just amazing what's happening around our country. Dams are getting removed and fish are immediately heading upstream. You know, it's, it's, it's just beautiful. So there's a lot of work now needs to continue to be done in that realm. But, um, I also, Really feel passionately about the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, you know, to restore essential habitat and provide species of concern, uh, prevent species of concern from becoming endangered or extinct. And it would just be the most pivotal wildlife conservation legislation in a generation. And uh, we're close. So if you're listening, please, please, please pay attention to that. And uh, you should already have your uh, representatives and your senators on speed dial in your phone. Uh, the next 10 years are going to be absolutely pivotal on this planet in terms of mitigating and adapting to the effects of a changing climate and um, actually getting involved with passing legislation that protects vital habitat and you know, the old growth forest that remains in our country. We have 7% of old growth forest left, but that 7% helps store and sequester 11% of our carbon emissions. That's, that's significant. That's one way that we can mitigate and adapt to a changing climate. Um, so I think some of the biggest takeaways that, um, I definitely have to recognize and share, I try very hard not to, uh, only share bad news. If you know me, you know that I'm a very outgoing and positive person, but the truth is that there has been a 60% decline in wildlife populations, specifically mammals, birds, fish, reptiles, and amphibians over the last 40 years. And at this moment, only 12% of United States lands are currently protected. And so one of the focuses of the National Wildlife Federation is conserving 30% of US land and water by 2030. Mm. Scientists say that 30% is a minimum target for land, sea, and freshwater to protect and conserve key biodiversity, including species at risk and migration sites, spawning areas, and ecologically intact areas which protect large-scale ecological processes. And, you know, we've a lot of work ahead of us, but I do truly believe that we can turn things around. We have 10 years that it's going to be so pivotal for those who are already involved to take care of themselves, like Marcia highlighted when she spoke. I really appreciate what you said, Marcia. You know, this is important work that we're doing, um, not just in conservation, but teachers and education and um, civil rights, you know, and you, you need to take care of yourself. you got to put your own oxygen mask on so you can continue this important work. And I say this for the listener, but I also say it for myself because I need, I know I need to get more sleep <laughs> pretty passionate about this stuff. And so sometimes I stay up pretty late at night working on it, but, um, I learned a lot during my time at national wildlife Federation. And I, you know, I, I left the life of living on a raft, for 250 days of the year as an expedition river guide on uh, multiple continents, but specifically the Grand Canyon. And I I stepped away from the Grand Canyon so so that I could play a bigger role in fighting to protect that incredible ecosystem. And it was a beautiful full picture for me when I was invited to go to Washington DC with the Grand Canyon tribal coalition to advocate on behalf of permanent protections for the Grand Canyon from expanded uranium mining. And so I represented Grand Canyon River Guides Association, and I was there with my friends at the Arizona Wildlife Federation, as well as the Grand Canyon Trust and ECHO, which is a program of National Wildlife Federation and Trout Unlimited. And so my focus was talking about the economy of rafting in particular. We take about nineteen to 24,000 people rafting down the Grand Canyon every year, and that generates about 120 million million for the economy, which is about $710 million altogether. And when you look at it, it's just kind of silly. You know, at best, at best, 1.3% of uranium stockholds in our country are found in Grand Canyon. In order to extract all that, you'd have to put mines all over. And they're were claims for those mines all over. And it would have been absolutely detrimental to the 40 million people who depend on that water, uh, all the agriculture that relies on that water, as well as the indigenous peoples, the uh, affiliated tribes. And the affiliated tribes of the Grand Canyon have been working on this since the 80s. And it was really an honor to stand behind them and support their efforts to protect their Cultural resources and and their way of life, so that they could ha- drink fresh water. Because we are all entitled to have fresh water. Humans, critters. Fresh water is so so important. And so um, to go to the White House and switch out my guiding ensemble for a suit, and to sit in, uh, you know, the Department of the Interior and and have this opportunity to talk to the folks who actually can implement change about why it's important to protect places like the Grand Canyon. I actually had a moment where I was like, "Baby, I should be a lobbyist." I you want me to to talk about why these places are important? You know, I just was fired up and I thought it was important and I felt like we were heard and then just not that long afterwards um President Biden did designate the Bag Joita Kurvini, Grand Canyon National Monument and uh It's not permanently protected. I just need you guys to know that sometimes when stuff like this happens, you know, it's important to celebrate. Please, we have to celebrate. Especially in conservation, it can feel like an uphill battle, but right now the Grand Canyon is still under threat. There was a preliminary permit of dams for the Little Colorado River, which is the tributary of the Colorado River. It's where the Hopi believe their culture emerged from the third world into the fourth world. It's where the humpback chub, native species of fish, spawn. Beautiful. Water. The only way I could describe the color of the water is it's the color of a unicorn horn. So I'm not sure if you're uh, if you've ever seen a unicorn horn before, but it's this, you know, I would imagine it to be just this beautiful milky blue color. And uh, there was a outreach from the community, and the dam company just moved the dam upstream. So now it's in the tributary of the Little Colorado, Big Canyon. So it's Big Canyon Dam. You can learn more by visiting SaveTheConfluence.org. But just you know, stay vigilant. We can't assume these places are always going to be protected. Um, And I feel like one of the major things I learned was the power of our collective voices. We can't turn things around. And I learned how to effectively use my voice and how to educate others so that when we speak up, it actually moves the needle.
1: I think you would be a fantastic lobbyist.
2: You have a future career in that as well, Mandela.
3: Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be a holistic approach to conservation. It's definitely a dream of mine to organize a coalition to get the United States to ban ivory trade. And, yeah. um, and I just, it's, it's, it's really important to participate in the democratic process. You know, I remember sitting um, in the CEQ and the door was open and we were having a meeting and uh, I saw people walking by and they were advocating on behalf of being able to love who they wanted to love and wear what they wanted to wear. And I just hope folks realize that is not the case in other countries necessarily. Like we are very privileged to have access to 245 million acres of public lands and also to have the freedom of speech to speak up on behalf of, you know, Uh, the creation of responsible renewable energies or um, enforcing oil and gas reforms so that we can have uh, incredible access for future generations, for the seventh generations to these public lands. So if you're listening and you're not yet actively engaged, you know, I I, I really do encourage you to, to look into the resources for Artemis Sportswoman in terms of leadership and how to uh, start using your voice effectively and, and just and start voting. if you are not already, please, please, please do. It makes a huge difference. and um, I, I do believe that we can make a change, and I'm certainly dedicating my life to this work, at least for sure, over the next 10 years. And over those
2: next 10 years, what I, I know you alluded or shared some of that previously, but, but where are you hoping to be within that time span,? I did, at 10 years,
3: where do you anticipate you'll be? Well, I am going to expand my conservation efforts on every continent. Um, I'm going to most certainly be working on a lot of conservation issues on the African continent, and I'll be spending quite a lot of time over the next three years in Kenya, South Africa and Zambia and, uh, around the United States as well. So my heart feels at ease in Missoula and also South Africa so going back and forth my whole life I just feel it is my responsibility to advocate on behalf of wildlife and wild places on the African continent as well as over here in the states but specifically Montana. Uh, I'm a board member of the Montana Wildlife Federation so I'm really excited to be able to fine-tune my efforts here in the state and hopefully head over to the capital and speak up on behalf of the work being done by the Montana Wildlife Federation. And uh, they are an affiliate of the National Wildlife Federation. So uh, it's not I do, it's do, still do feel like I'm part of the Federation family. And I plan to pay attention to the work being done by the National Fi- Wildlife Federation, as well as, you know, the Nature Conservancy and the, the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and a lot of incredible organizations around our country. But, uh, you know, the opportunity that came my way is, is just pretty amazing how perfect the fit is. You know, the business that I am going to be collaborating with, in addition to Game Rangers International in Zambia, they have the same mission statement as me. So it's connecting people with place through conservation, storytelling, art, history, and culture. So if you've ever listened to the Trail Less to my radio series and podcast, you'll be like, whoa. That really is what Mandela has been doing for half her life. And so, uh, the business is Explorer Maps. So expelled spelled without the E. So X-P-L-O-R-E-R, Explorer Maps. And they are a small business based here in Missoula with deep roots in Africa. It's a family business. Chris is the artist. His brother, Greg, is a geology buff who's, uh, the main person I'm working with here in Missoula. And we are going to be expanding our conservation efforts in Africa by sharing storytelling and culture and history and art, but mainly conservation. And they do incredible work. And the Masai Mara, they're very interested in elevating the work being done by Game Rangers International. And so this trip that I'm going to embark on very shortly here. It was made possible by the generous contributions of Explorer Maps. Many people don't know this, but up until now, I have funded my own projects. And I think think when people look at my stuff on social media or they hear me on the radio, they're like, oh, it's so nice that, you know, the radio station pays for you to travel the world. That's never been the case. You know, I work very, very hard. And it's either as a river guide or as a uh, employee of the National Wildlife Federation and or both, and I save money and then I go and I complete my project. And because of that, I've been able to get extensive work done on 25 different in depth, twenty-five different countries. Uh, but up until now, I've just been a one woman team. So I'm just so grateful our missions align and uh, they made a generous contribution to help me uh, get around in a Land Cruiser when I circumnavigate the country to get these stories documented and I'll be, you know, visiting schools cause I'm always visiting schools and I will plan to do that in here, Missoula as well as wherever I am in the United States. I always visit schools when I'm in Africa. So I'll be um, talking about conservation in uh, schools and in villages. I'm going to meet with chiefs. I think a lot of the times I will be um, asked to play the didgeridoo, which is the instrument that I use to kind of, um, Cross the language barriers because, as you know, language is music is an international language, and so it has really helped not only save my life, which is completely another story, um, in, in South America back when I was uh in my late teens, and also just be able to create relationships and make music with people um around the world. So, I am. Officially on paper, I am the field director of content and community for Explorer Maps. Uh, I like to go ahead and just say, aka, lead storyteller. And so we're going to grow together. And we have big plans to connect people with place where their maps are. And so they create new maps every year. But some of the maps that I recommend you look into is the beautiful map they have of Grand Canyon National Park, Yellowstone National Park, Glacier National Park. As well as uh, maps of countries in Africa, such as Zambia, uh, Kenya, South Africa, Botswana, and these are like the these are like the old explorer maps, you know. And I'm really into the explorer vibe. I, I like um, I like to you know balance between technology and 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 primitive traditional skills. So like everything from yeah, knowing how to make a friction fire, but making sure you don't put yourself in a situation where you don't have a lighter. And you are forced to make a friction fire. I think it's important to know these skill sets, um, but also like embracing just leather and canvas and an old map that's actually drawn by hand. Uh, you know, I drive an old Land Rover and my recording equipment's pretty minimal because not much can survive when you put it to the test in Africa. Um, but yeah, you know, maps um, have always been a passion of mine. I love it when you open up a book and the first thing you see is a map. I'll spend like half the day looking at that map before I'll start reading the book. And so this, yeah, amazing opportunity presented itself. They have been sponsoring my radio show for a number of years and we both share connection in Africa. And so we want to create community and connection locally and globally, uh, between Montana and, and Africa where we both have deep roots and, um, you know, we're going to work. To, we're just going to continue the craft of perfecting the craft of how to better tell the story of place and you know, explore maps has done this very well through art, but now we're going to do it audibly as well. And so kind of one of the things that we've come to, we come up with this week is, is where cartography comes to life. I'm really excited about that concept and, um, you know, it's just an amazing opportunity to make a difference locally here in Missoula. We've got such awesome projects planned. I'm going to be giving, uh, about four adventure presentations a year. Um, talking about New Zealand, conservation efforts in New Zealand, conservation efforts in the oceans, conservation efforts across Africa here in Montana. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at the Patagonia outlet in Dillon, Montana in like January and next year, maybe at the Adventurers Club of Los Angeles. And Just really trying to connect people with place through stories and uh, through audio and multimedia, you know, all about multimedia and really taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment being storytelling. So I love supporting small business and the fact that this is a family business here in Missoula and they just go above and beyond to give back as well. I think at this point they've given well over $120,000 to conservation efforts. And uh, they donate a lot of money to help with the uh, preservation of our public lands. And um, their roots go back about 50 years in Africa. So they're heading towards some fun and exciting new projects in Africa over the next decade. And so you ask me about the next 10 years, I'd say, yeah, that kind of sums it up. But I'm very open to what the universe has in mind. I will share with you that Since I was little, I have been an admirer of David Attenborough, and I have been writing to him since I was little. He does write back, by the way. If uh, you haven't yet written David Attenborough a letter and thanking him on behalf of everything that he has done and continues to do, and here I am, starting to get choked up, (sighs) please write a letter if you haven't already. Um, You can look up his address, just Google it. And uh, the only thing you need to make sure is that you include a self-addressed return envelope. And if you are a mom or a dad and you have a kid uh, who would be interested in writing David a letter, know that David really likes getting letters from children, especially with drawings, and he will respond. It might take a few weeks, but he will respond. And so looking up to David Attenborough my entire life, I've always thought that there was a space for a woman to step, I wouldn't say into that role, but to continue carrying on his torch. And I hope that many of us step up and carry on that torch. No one can actually fill his shoes, but there is opportunity for many of us to start stepping up and um, look into him for those leadership points and what he has done and what he continues to do. Um, So I myself don't necessarily watch TV that much, but if there was an opportunity down the line to uh, be able to reach more people on that platform to inspire Um, little girls, uh, inspire everyone, but you know, inspire little girls that, you know, Hey, if you want to be an international expedition trip leader and guide, you can, you can do anything. You can do anything that you set your heart to. And, um, you know, where your energy goes, it's, it's, it, when you put your mind to something, you're putting your energy to it as well. So, If you are a parent or an adult and a child has shared their dream with you, please feel honored that they trusted you with that dream. And please do everything in your power to encourage them to pursue their dreams. And don't put your own, you know, fear on them. Uh, I think that kids are living in a a world where there's a lot of negativity and their dreams are being pushed down. Uh, But no, they, they can do anything they set their heart to. And you listening at home, you can too. So... Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm just kind of open up to what the world has in mind, the universe has in mind. And I, uh, hope to continue being better on camera, um, in terms of figuring out what to do with my hands when I'm talking on camera and, you know, you guys know, you'll be fine. Yeah, (laughs) I think, I think you'll be great.
2: You're already such a great presenter.
3: Well, I've asked both you guys to make reels for me for, (laughs) for years now and, um, you know, so I started doing it myself, too. And I'm like, wow, this is not as easy as, as I thought it was. It does take originally. about 30 takes, right, Marcia? Yeah, yeah. They At winning. least. Oh At least
1: Yep.
3: So I'm trying to get it to be like one take, one take wonder. And, um, and <laughs> you figure it to one out. Take one day. Yeah. I I wish you luck, Mandela.
2: I'm excited to to hear about your success with the one take wonders. I'm. It's tough. It's so tough.
3: That was a big answer that I gave you. But the next 10 years, I'm going to be a storyteller. I've always been a storyteller. Both my parents are storytellers. Um, Both my parents went to speak at my school and other schools when I was a kid. So someone asked me the other day about outreach in schools and my roots and connection to that. Well, my parents both demonstrated that to me. So uh, without even thinking about it, I started doing it. And I get a lot of joy being around kids and their energy. And uh, I am so inspired by them. And, um, I just want to make sure that they also feel inspired. So I meant what I said, you know, like, please do encourage the kids in your life to pursue their dreams and, and let them know that they can make a difference in the world.
2: I think that's a wonderful message to pass on. Um, yeah. and I'm so excited for you, Mandela, I, I best of luck and, and we'll likely have to do another episode, just like we're doing with Marsha and you of, you know, where have you been over the last year? And so, um, yeah, I I'm thrilled to I'm thrilled that you're you've taken what NWF has um, really provided and using it as really a launching point for the remainder of your career not to I mean well the rest of the rest of your foundation was pretty robust as well but I'm just I'm just thrilled for you so congratulations and I think that this is this takes us to our outro of hits and misses so Marsha our normal weekly closer is: What have you been aiming for, and how did it go?
1: You know, you would think that I knew that this was coming, and I had given it some thought. <laughs> but you'd be <laughs> wrong. You'd be wrong. Um... <laughs>
2: well, I can. Oh. We can. We can have Mandela go first, if you'd prefer.
3: Um, Mandela, do you have something? I. Yeah, I think I have a hit. It's sometimes hard for me to think of the miss. So maybe I'll think of a miss um, because I just try to focus on the positive, but uh, I'll, I'll share the hit. You know, stepping away from the National Wildlife Federation over the past two weeks, it's been incredible to realize what a pivotal opportunity and experience it was. I am so grateful for the last two and a half years and the connections that I've established in all 50 states, the lifelong friends, including you two, You know, and like just, I'm just feel so connected with the issues that are happening, specifically with like Arizona Wildlife Federation, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, Tennessee Wildlife Federation, Idaho Wildlife Federation, Nevada Wildlife Federation, Conservation Northwest, Wyoming Wildlife Federation. Just, man, it's just amazing. And then to go to the annual meeting, Wildlife Unite, which is the largest gathering of conservation leaders in our country, it's been happening since 1936. I was so inspired uh, being there and, and, and seeing people come together to just to make strategic plans and make decisions and, and, um, to connect over this goal of, you know, empowering Americans to help wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. So I'll just say that that was a hit and like walking away and realizing with all the emails that flooded in and folks that were going out of their way to re- make recommendations for me on LinkedIn, just being like, wow, I did do a good job. Um, and, you know, also to look at the analytics, that was pretty neat. So, yeah, I'd say a hit in terms of just looking at what I was able to do in terms of growing the programs on paper and with analytics and social media growth over the past two and a half years. But then just thinking about like the stuff that really matters, the meat and taters, the relationships that were formed. And that I continue, I plan to continue staying in touch with all these people. It's not a, you know, it's not a buy. It's a, it's a see you downstream. I love that. Yeah. Okay, Marsha.
1: Yes. So I'm going to give kind of a long-term, uh, hit and miss, and and not a a short-term one. But I think being a year out from the National Wildlife Federation, I think, uh, let me see if I can put this into words. It's really an interesting experience being, um, and and a deeply engaged member of the hunting and fishing community across the country. Um, Both, you know, as everything does, it has its, it's really, really amazing strong points and it has things, some things that are a little bit more difficult. And so I think this last year I spent a lot of time just kind of processing what or who I was as a hunter and as an angler and as a conservationist Um, And how being a part of the hunting and fishing community on such an interesting and uh, high level that Artemis and the National Wildlife Federation um, provide and then just kind of making that transition and digesting that experience and everything I learned uh, into who I am now as a hunter and as an angler. And uh, here in Montana, as we get closer and closer to um, our fall hunting season, I'm just really, really excited to enter into the woods this year, um, carrying all of that with me. Does that make sense?
2: Very much so. It's also very (laughs) lovely.
1: That's very, very lovely.
2: Um, I think I'm going to, uh, for my hit and miss, I think I'm going to just focus on them. Well, actually, I will say I, I had a, a hit this week. Um, I went scouting. One of my friends is, he's got an elk tag um, in northern mm-hmm. Colorado, and we went scouting and we got to see those those three moose. It was absolutely fantastic. I saw a bull moose, a cow, and a calf um, that were separate. Um, really, really lovely. And then the miss, I, I think this is probably a given, but um, we're losing Mandela. And it's been, yeah. I, I am thrilled for you. I am so grateful for this friendship that we've crafted and I just wish you the best of luck and NWF will miss you dearly Artemis and NWF
3: will miss you dearly. So,
1: yeah. so thank you. Thank you both. Yeah. Mandela, I'm one hit is that I get to see you on Saturday. I'm stoked for that.
3: Oh, I'm looking forward to it as well. My friend, thank you so, so, so much. I, um, at this point, I just can't think of a miss. I'm just so focused right now on positivity and what the hits are and, you know, in conservation it's, it's important for us to, to really celebrate the wins and um, you know, recognize when you know, things don't go to plan, but rather than dwell on that, come up with a plan. All right, move <laughs> forward. I, for me, I guess the way that I relate it you know, oftentimes is to the river. When everybody falls out of my raft, I don't just sit there going, oh, man, you guys should have paddled and like stared at people <laughs> while they're floating past. No. All right. Recognize <laughs> people fell out of the raft, rescue them. Talk about how we could have done better, move forward. You know, let's, let's keep doing that. <laughs>
1: and hopefully, See, that's that why you're an awesome guide right there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, yeah, And I do want to share a quote with y'all, if it's all right. It's a, it's a beautiful quote from George Bernard Shaw. Let's hear it. Yeah. This is the true joy in life. That being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being a force of nature instead of a feverish, shelfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me it is a sort of splendid torch which i have got a hold of for the moment and i want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations that's beautiful it is and i i think it
2: also ties into the legacy that you've you've left with us i mean both of you goodness it's yeah i just i feel so fortunate so thank you both and with that i think we can close out Thank you, Carly.
3: Thank Thank you. you, Carly. Namaste. Aloha. Happy trails.
2: Thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week. And until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside.